Welcome to The Way Church. We're glad you're joining us for today's message. For sermon notes, service times, and more information, check us out online at thewaychurchva.com. Now let's join Pastor Matt Rothy with this week's message. Our gospel lesson for this morning is the narrative of the Magi visiting the Messiah found in Matthew chapter 2. This will also serve as the basis for our sermon this morning. This is the account of the wise men visiting Jesus. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go to worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. This is the gospel of your Lord. You may be seated. Over the past couple years, our young church has started something of a tradition on the first Sunday of the new year. What we do in place of a sermon is we have a time, a period, where I answer your questions. Creatively, we call this Celebration Sunday, Q&A Sunday. It's a time where your pastor gets to answer your questions questions you have because you heard a religious leader, a teacher, or maybe someone on YouTube say something and you wondered, is that really it? I wonder what the real answer is. Questions that you have that you, that you talk about with your family and friends and, and maybe even debate with your family and friends. And you wonder, I wonder what God's word says about this questions that you have just out of curiosity or questions that you have out of real consequence, questions maybe that you you just wondered about and you haven't asked, you're just curious about, but also questions that have real consequence, that, that have real stake, real matter in your life and in your faith. 
No matter the question, it's great to get to answer these questions, to talk about these things. But there's always one thing I promise. Whenever we have Q&A Sunday or, or whenever I answer one of your questions, I promise you this, that I'm not answering the question based on Matt's thoughts, my opinions, or anyone else's. The questions aren't being answered based on speculation or guesswork, but we're answering the questions based on God's word and what God's word has to say about any question, about any matter, about any concern that we have in our lives. So really, I'm not answering your questions. Together, we're just pointing at what God's word has to say. And this Sunday is no different. This maybe hybrid Q&A Sunday is not any different. There's going to be questions, and I'm going to answer them. I'm going to answer them based on what God's word has to say. But on this kind of hybrid Q&A Sunday, there's a few twists I got to tell you about. The first is this. The questions weren't submitted by you, although I'd be willing to bet that you have these questions. And the questions, they're, they're not based on a broad spectrum of topics, as usually is our case. They don't come from a variety of different books of the Bible. They're not covering a number of different theological topics. Now, all the questions come from one section of Scripture. And the final twist is that while there will be an answer to these questions, it might not satisfy you. The questions that we're looking at all come from the biblical account of the Magi visiting the Messiah, the Lord's Epiphany to the Gentiles. And this is a very familiar section of Scripture. It's familiar to Christians and non-Christians alike. And it's also a very famous section of scripture for raising more questions than answers. After all, who were the Magi? Or should we call them wise men? Or should we call them kings? And what about that star? How did that actually look? How did it actually get brought about? Was it a miracle or was it some kind of natural occurrence that God just happened to use? And let's talk about the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. What what did they look like? What did they mean? How much were they worth? We're going to talk about those things. But I'll give you the answer up front. The answer to all those questions is the same. I don't know. I don't know. The gospel writer, Matthew, remains silent on many of the details to the deepest questions that you and I might have about this text. And really, that's not that unusual. When we look at questions that we have, whether it's about the Epiphany account or it's about any question that we have, oftentimes, I don't know or God's word just doesn't say is the answer that we end up with. And that's not all bad. In fact, what I want to suggest to you is it's actually really, really good. Because when the question that we have, the questions that we have, aren't necessarily revealed in God's word and the answer we're left with is, I don't know, oftentimes what God is revealing is much better, much more beautiful and far more amazing than what we had even thought to ask. And that's the case here 
in Matthew's account of the Magi visiting the Messiah. Matthew is quiet, beautifully and instructively about so many of the details, and it's all because he wants us to focus on just one thing, one thing that God is revealing to his people. What is that one thing? I'm glad you asked, and I'm excited to answer that. But first, let's look at a couple of the questions, familiar questions that maybe people have about the Magi visit to Jesus. Here's the first one. Who were these men from the East? And was there three or was there 12? Were they from Persia or were they from Arabia? And what is a Magi? Was it someone who's a wise man or should we be calling them kings? As I already said, I don't know. Matthew doesn't tell us the answer to these questions, and no one can say with any certainty really who they are, but this is what we do know. This is what we know from Bible history, that the word magi is an old Persian word from which we get our English word magic. Who were the magi? They were men who were interested in wisdom, who were interested in, well, magic, more specifically astrology, the study of the stars, the planets, and world religions. And they study these things in order to gain wisdom and, well, attempt to answer questions, to tell the future. So who were the magi? What we know is this, is that they were high-ranking men. They were men from another country outside of Israel. So they were Gentiles. And in other words, I, I guess I'm saying these men... They were some of the most like, unlikely men to come and worship a baby Hebrew boy born in Bethlehem, living in the house of a lowly carpenter. So that begs another question. How is it that these high-ranking men connected the star they saw to their savior? I don't know. But what I do know is this, in Daniel chapter four, the prophet Daniel, along with thousands of other Israelites, were taken into Babylonian captivity. And what we know is that the prophet Daniel was put in charge over men just like these magi. What we know, and what we know very well, is that Daniel lived out his faith. And so could it be that Daniel and the thousands of other Israelites who were in Babylonian captivity talked about their savior, talked about their God, who, who yes, promised that he would punish sin and allow the nation to go into captivity, but one day he would send his son. He, he would send the promised savior to come and redeem Israel, not from earthly rule, but would redeem us from their sin. I don't know, the Bible doesn't say, but could it be that the Holy Spirit blessed the holy conversations that Israelites had in Babylon and generations later, 400 years later, well, there was magi, there was wise men who remembered very well what God's people had to say about their God. I don't know, but it's possible. And this is what we do know. When the magi showed up in Jerusalem, they didn't ask, uh, has there been a king born? Is there a Messiah around? No, what we read, and we read very clearly, is their question was this, where is the one? Where is the one who is born the king of the Jews? 
They knew exactly who Jesus was. They knew exactly who the Messiah would be. He would be a king. He would be the king of Israel, but he'd be their king too. And so when they saw the star, they were coming to worship, which brings up another question. (laughs) What exactly was that star? A lot of people try to explain it away by saying it it was just a comet, or maybe it was something like what we experienced last month, where two planets aligned and it looked like a really, really bright star that moved. They do this because they want to explain a miracle away as a natural occurrence. Still others, knowing that it is a miracle, say, no, it wasn't a star, it was the glory of the Lord shining in the sky, leading these men. But Matthew says neither of those things. God's word says neither of those things are true. What we read is that it was a star. It was a star that appeared. It was a star that was really in the sky, noticed by these men, a star that eventually moved and stopped and moved again till it rested over the home where Jesus was staying. And what we know is this was a miracle. This was divine intervention. This was the hand of God leading these faithful men to come and worship their king. And what a faith they had. Think about it. What a faith they had to leave their homes, their luxurious homes, thousands of miles away and travel at great cost and great risk to themselves to come and worship a king. What faith they had to go up to King Herod, who was, by the way, the king of the Jews, and say, hey, Herod, where's the real king at? Where's the real king of Israel? This is where the rubber hits the road. This is where the narrative of the Magi visiting the Messiah comes in contact with our big idea for the day that we're wrestling with, that God's word, it, it gives us the answer to the questions that we have. Think about this. The Magi had a question. Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? And where did Herod and the people of Israel, the leaders, the religious leaders go when they had this question? They went to God's word. They went to God's word. They quoted the prophet Micah and they said, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, by no means are you least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Yes, even King Herod knew where to find the answers. With the help of the religious leaders and the scribes, he knew where to look. They looked in God's word. But they didn't like what God's word had to say. It's because they lacked the one thing that the Magi had. They lacked the one thing that allowed the Magi and you and I to see Jesus for who he is, Emmanuel, God with us. They lacked faith. They lacked trust in God's word. They lacked trust that God's word is God's word. So let me put this plainly. What happened was people far from God, people who were the most unlikely to worship him, were drawn near to him by the word of God and history remembers them as as wise. 
And on the other side, people who were near to God, geographically speaking, who were near to him, ethnically speaking, people from whom Christ came and for whom Christ came, well, they couldn't be further from him because they rejected what God's word had to say. And and what history shows is they played the part of fools. Lacking faith, what did King Herod do? He got frightened that a little baby boy was gonna take over his throne and he did an unthinkable crime. He murdered all the baby boys under the age of two in his kingdom. Lacking faith, the Pharisees, the scribes, the religious leaders, they not only trusted that God's word could provide the answers for the questions that they had, they ignored the example of the Magi They didn't go and bow down and worshiped him. In fact, years later, they put this baby boy, now a man, up on trial and crucified him. People far from God found God's word and were led by the spirit to see that their questions have answers in God's word. The people close to God, well, people who had God's word ignored it. We see the same scenario play out today, don't we? We see people who are close to God, who who say they believe in God, not even read God's word. They don't know what it says or they don't care to pay attention to what it says and they live in ignorance, which is called sin. You know, people who have questions rely more on their IQ than they do God's word to figure things out. Some of you read the news way more than you read the good news in order to make sense of life. Then there's others who who wrestle with serious questions or, or, or concerns that they have, and they'd rather be inspired by influencers like authors and bloggers and podcasters than be influenced by the one who inspired the very words of God. What I'm talking about is a luxury, a a gift that we have that the Magi couldn't afford, that King Herod couldn't afford, that, that you and I have, that no other people have had in this history and time. That's access to the word of God at any given moment in unprecedented ways. We have God's word here with us in our pockets all of the time. And yet, what do we do when we have questions, when we have concerns, when when things come up in our lives? So often, we don't turn to the Bible app. We turn to some Google app and search it out there. Is it any wonder that that people are lost? And of course, we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't admit that. But we admit that, well, we're searching. That's actually exactly how Google puts it. Every year, did you know Google puts out a list of the trends of the most frequently asked uh, questions and the answers replied? It's, it's really fascinating because it gives an insight, a window into humanity, into what people are thinking. And of course, with the year that we just had, the list was very, very unique. Every year along with the list, comes out a short video or a commercial for people to check out this Google list. The video for 2020 is worth watching. 
Check it out. So until we get to every answer, we are still searching. And then search on flashes on the screen. It's a pretty moving sentiment, isn't it? But you see the problem, right? While it is definitely a beautiful commercial, a a motivating commercial for Google, it's somewhat of a promotion for the pain, for the hopelessness that people struggle and wrestle with when they're searching. When they're searching for answers to questions that they have, and God's word isn't consulted. When you're searching and searching and looking and looking and well, you try to search for hope, to search for peace, to search for joy, to search for how to deal with this, how to feel about this, how to be forgiven, give forgiveness, how to stand up strong, have identity, have purpose, be confident, be strong, you don't look to God's word for these things, you will search on. You can call it being lost or you can call it continuing the search, but it's all the same. We wonder why we feel lost at times. In fact, sometimes we maybe ask ourselves, I wish there was, there was something that would lead me, maybe even miraculously, to, to have more answers and less questions. I wish there was something, something like a star that would lead me to see things clearly. My Christian friends, you do have a star. You do have a star in your life and it is the light of God's word that shines brightly and illuminates all of the answers to all of the questions that you have and they are found met in Christ. I say, man, what's, what's so miraculous about God's word? Test this and try this. You see, page after page as you search the scriptures, what you're going to find is that the Holy Spirit leads you. The Holy Spirit leads you by the King's word to the very side of the Prince of Peace in a way that is no different than the way the King's star led the Magi to be next to the Christ child. The word of God, it illuminates Christ for who he is, the Savior of the world. The word of God, it illuminates God and points to the prophets of God showing that Christ Jesus is the answer to all of your questions. He is the calm to all of your fears. He is the reason for all of your hopes. The word of God, it brightly illuminates that Jesus Christ has destroyed death, has destroyed the devil, and has destroyed the desolate life where you lived away from God because this very same word of God draws you to his side. You type this into your permanent search bar. (laughs) Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? He's right there. He's right there in your baptism, in the waters of your baptism, which are still yours today, which wash over you and tell you that you are his and he is yours. Where is the one who has been born the king of the Jews? Great miracle that he is. He's right here giving himself to you in a closer way than well, even the Magi experienced. Where is the one who is born, born the king of the Jews? He's wherever his word is read. 
He's where his word is preached. He's where his word is sung. He's where his word is heard. He's wherever you talk about God's word, whether it's over Zoom or in person, whether it's by listening to a podcast or having a real conversation with real people, that's where God's word is. That's where Christ is. And that's where you are. So stop the search. <laughs> so stop searching because you're found. You're found in him and, and he's found in you because wherever God's word is, there is the baby who has been born for you and has been given to you and is found in you. You see it now, don't you? <laughs> Why Matthew just left out all these details? <laughs> doesn't matter. Who cares? <laughs> who cares if there was three or 12 magi, if we should call them kings or wise men or, or, or just magi? Who cares if they're from Arabia or Persia or somewhere else? Who cares what their gifts stood for or what they signified or if they meant anything at all or just what these kings had laying around? Who cares about what the star might've looked like? Who cares? Because this one thing matters. <laughs> this one thing God has revealed to you that God draws people who are far from God, near to him, and he does it through God's word. He does it through faith and trust in the message of God's word. He draws the most unlikely people to himself, magi, to gather around the word made flesh and worship him. People like you and me, the most unlikely of people, to gather around him, and worship him and experience joy. This is what Matthew does say. He says, when they, that is the Magi, saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They left their homes in the east and they traveled thousands of miles to worship him. They traveled far distances. They traveled and left their luxurious homes, risking life and limb and fleeing from a mad king to worship him. These kings, these, these wealthy, high-ranking men opened up their gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, and they did it to worship him. So will you? In 2021, will you worship him? Will you travel, not thousands of miles, but maybe just a few minutes down the roads regularly to worship him? Or will you take time out of your schedule to sit down in your home and, and watch worship and worship with your family to worship him? Will you hit pause on your busy lives to worship him? Or will work and travel and school and reasons dealing with 2020 be an excuse, an obstacle? Will you open up your hearts? 
let go of the things that you're holding on to that aren't him and open up your hearts and give your time, your talent, your treasures to him to worship him? Will you risk your reputation, your relationships, and really important obligations that you have to stop and worship him? Because this is what Epiphany is all about. It is God calling us through his word to worship him because nothing else matters, nothing else is more important, and nothing else satisfies you the way that worship him does. It's in worship that God gives to you gifts. It is in worship that God gave to the wise men gifts, greater than gold, incense, and myrrh. He gave to them gifts of their forgiveness, gifts of joy, gifts of peace, gifts of himself. That's what worship is all about. And that is what he's calling us to do. He has revealed himself to us. How else can we respond than by worshiping him? And just so you know, I'm not talking about some cold religious, irreligious form of emotionalist thing that people often associate with worship. I'm talking about more than just checking off a box on our to-do list, the weekly to-do list, and parking our, our seats in a chair for an hour. I'm talking about your entire lives being centered around the holy conviction that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. He is the King of the Jews, and he is my King and yours. He is the Prince of Peace. He is for you, and he gives all good gifts to you in worship. And from that conviction, that holy conviction, going out and have holy conversations our lives centering around worship in all that we think, in all that we do, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week. When they saw his star, they were overjoyed. The NIV actually puts it really weakly, that they were just overjoyed. What the Hebrew says is they rejoiced greatly with great joy. They had joy on top of joy. Can you imagine that? High-ranking men <laughs> shout for joy as they see the star parked above this home. Their enthusiastic joy turns to awe and in the most sincere way, they pause and they marvel at the side of his crib. High-ranking men throw themselves as they bow down and worship. And they're filled with joy. They're filled with joy on top of joy as they worship. My friends, when you worship, that joy will be yours. It'll be others as well. It's not lost on me as I preach a sermon about worshiping and about how all of your questions find answers in the word of God that I'm preaching to the choir. <laughs> you're here. You're worshiping with us online. You're worshiping with us here in person. And so on this epiphany, let me just stop and, and say where this really connects to you who, who are already doing this. Epiphany as I mentioned earlier, is God's revelation or appearance of his gospel to Gentile people. It's a cause of celebration for those of us who are not born as Jews or Israelites, that God's gift of the gospel of forgiveness is to you and I as well. It's a gift that, that moves us in joy to, to share that with others. I think about seven years ago, it was the first time that I got to celebrate Epiphany as a pastor. 
a pastor in training, I got to preach an epiphany sermon in Malawi, Africa. For the past several years, I thought that experience was the coolest way to celebrate epiphany that there ever could be. That here in a country that is foreign to me, I'm gathered with people who are from Malawi and different countries in Africa. All around are gathered expatriates from the United States, from Canada, and from different parts of Europe. And there's me visiting from the United States. I thought that was it. This is what Epiphany is all about. People far from God coming together, worshiping him, gathered around his word. I still think it's pretty cool, but... It's no different than what's taking place right now. It's no different than what takes place last year Epiphany was celebrated or any other time. Often we think that people far from God are far from us. That's not true. People who have questions, who are searching, they're your own family and friends. They're very near to you. And while they have questions, My friends, you have answers. You have the answer. And after a year like 2020, it needs to be said. So often there's this cultural narrative going on that what the church needs to do in a time like this is circle the wagons and put up the defense against all the crazy that's going on in the world. Don't buy into that lie. Don't believe that story. Because the mission of the church is the mission of Christ. It's to be a light to the world. To be a light to the world that that draws people closer to God. The most unlikely people, the most furthest from God people, drawn to God by the word of God that you share with them so that we all might experience the joy of worshiping him. May God grant that for Jesus' sake. Amen.